city over here. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> this is um, basically, it's like a portal, I guess, in some levels. <laughs> yeah. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. <laughs> Their defense is atrocious. atrocious. I'm the rock star. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love the plan here. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? <laughs> Welcome back to Switch FM. Chris Mandelkin, Ben Craw. Ben, uh, we got a bunch of stuff to discuss today. But first and foremost, we have... An announcement, uh, Swish FM, the family here, the extended universe has grown. Whammy, uh, Whammy's wife Kelly gave birth the other day to a baby girl. Everyone's doing well. We want to extend our congratulations to Wham. That's right. Family, uh, honestly couldn't be happy. We have created a new Swish FM fan, um, which is really, you know, the most important thing. Uh, we did it. Yeah. Um, couldn't be couldn't be happier really for us to be able to expand our audience by one. Um, not that we need it, still number one on the charts. But uh, hey, you know the more the merrier. So looking forward to uh, to seeing Wham's new baby girl uh, somewhere in the uh, you know the comment section, or uh, maybe maybe in the in the iTunes reviews. She could she could write us uh, maybe a. Drop a little little review in there, five yep. stars. Uh, anything would be appreciated uh, whenever she is uh, able to do that. Well, Kelly, Tough Daddy, uh, congratulations to you guys. That's now Huge three, three children under the Whammy so uh, many, in, in the Whammy household. So many goddamn kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very happy for them, though. Happy for those guys. And, uh, and praying for them, yes. Uh, <laughs> Ben, we're in the throes of summer here. Mm. We're in the grip, the stranglehold. The dog days. The dog days. Slowly being suffocated. Not a ton happening in the NBA, so we figured we'd devote a little time here to TV, TV Corner. TV Corner, one of our most popular and successful new spinoff segments on the show. True passion of yours, um... So we have both been watching The Rehearsal. This is a HBO series that we talked about on our last podcast. Um, it's by Nathan Fielder, created by Nathan Fielder. And it's a, how would you describe it, Ben? Like a hybrid documentary comedy series? Reality um, series? All of the above? Yeah, it is a... It's a it's a rea- it's a comedy reality show uh, that you know very deliberately like blurs the line between those two things. Um, I would say it's uh, some people like don't really like the word meta, but it is if nothing else, it is a very like meta meditation on the art of creating television um, and of. almost yeah it's i don't know it's it's um it's it's everything it's really (laughs) yes it's a show about everything uh it's a show about tv shows it's a show about nathan it's yeah it's very it's 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 nathan fielder helping ordinary people rehearse difficult moments in life and 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 life conversations and life events through the use of sets and actors and rehearsals um and it's all filmed and there's a lot of uh yeah complications and interesting moments that ensue so um yeah i think instead of um i think it's pretty at this point if if anyone's still listening who has not seen uh the rehearsal um i i want to try not to like there have been at least a dozen uh think pieces and essays written about the show that I have personally read over the past week. Um, And that's probably just a 
small fraction of the amount that's actually been generated on the internet. Um, and the funniest thing about all of these essays is anytime the author tries to like explain uh, or like recap something that happens on the show, like it's it's like mind boggling to me that someone would read one of these essays that has not seen the show and like been like, yeah. oh, can you like try to describe it to me or like explain to me as someone who's never seen it so that I can understand what you're writing about. Like, um, I don't know why anyone ever even bothers with that exercise. I feel like like every single essay and podcast, including our own, that is about the rehearsal should just like start off with the caveat that like you need to watch the show if you want to actually know what the hell we're talking about because there is no way we can really explain it um, and recap it in a way that will make any sense whatsoever unless you just go ahead and watch it. Um, so that all being said, uh, you know, uh, not everyone has a subscription to HBO Max. That's unfortunate. Um, but I'm afraid that this is uh, this is now <laughs> a rehearsal podcast. So if you <laughs> would not like to, uh, to listen to that, uh, you should go ahead and uh, find something else to listen to at this point. But yeah, uh, that- we're not we're not going to pull any punches yeah. or hold anything back spoilers or like try to explain anything to anyone that hasn't seen the show because honestly i think that is just a exercise in futility yeah um with that said yeah you know spoiler alert we're gonna be talking about everything here so uh <laughs> turn off the pod if if uh you know if, if you can't handle those spoilers but uh let's dive into episode four here ben this is uh called the fielder method um and yeah, I mean, we can just talk about what basically happens plot by, you know, plot point by plot point in the episode and then sort of any takeaways and thoughts. But basically the episode is features like Nathan going back to LA. So obviously the show is, at this point is sort of primarily based in rural Oregon. And so this episode features Nathan going back to LA and he... Uh, explains that he's opening up an acting school in Los Angeles and he's created his own acting method where um, actors are assigned people or or what are referred to as primaries um, (laughs) to study and basically to stalk uh, in real life outside of the classroom. Yeah, because Nathan's realizing that uh, he requires a certain caliber performance for these rehearsals that he's providing his subjects on the show to really you know to to really be authentic and to and to be effective he needs a a certain type of commitment to um because every actor that he hires is is you know supposed to be recreating a a real life person yeah Um, what's really trippy for me honestly like i i get really messed up just in some of the language because i have to sort of remind myself that the job, like he is hiring people for what we're referring to as rehearsals, but those are actually performances, like for an actor. Right. Like I, you know, like uh, it's weird to think that it's like he is hiring actors for performances. Yeah, he is. It's only a rehearsal to, for for one person, which is the the subject who he is. Yeah. Picked for everyone else, it's a performance. Yes. So it's like a little trippy myself as an actor when i hear these things that it's like yeah no he's not hiring people for rehearsals he's hiring them for performances that will be called and referred to as a rehearsal for one person yeah which they themselves the actors need to prepare for and presumably rehearse for in order to really nail the performance in the rehearsal <laughs> proper <laughs> yeah yeah it's a bit the language is yeah. really trippy you know just i mean like, that's one of the things like, like i i we'll talk on this episode about how we feel about the show um but one thing i kind of like unabashedly love about it is just how far up its own ass it like it it goes and how it just doesn't like I feel like there's two types of art. There's art that like tries really hard not to go up its own ass. And then there's other art that fully goes up its own ass because it's like, well, that's really all that's on my mind. Kind of like as, as the creator of the art, like, 
you know, uh, what is this thing I'm even doing creating art? Um, and the art itself either addresses that or doesn't address that. Um, and I feel like this is a show where it's just, it's completely like almost like a, like a donut eating itself. Uh, that it's, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't care at all. It's not making, it's not making any effort whatsoever to like sort of like separate itself or hold back from exploring that. So it's, it's literally to the point where like, yeah, like the show, I mean, in episode four, there's a point where Nathan literally looks at a camera and says, what is this show? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Of course he's doing that, not as Nathan Fielder, but as uh, Nathan Fielder embodying an actor who is (laughs) in one of his rehearsals. It reminds me of, uh, what are they? The Russian dolls. Yeah. The nesting dolls. dolls. Yeah. Yeah, The nesting dolls that like stack inside of each other. Mm -hmm. The, the show basically is that. In, yeah. in in so many ways like it's like a show within 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 a show yeah it's completely insane um but i want to ask you chris uh as an actor and also i'm curious if you can um if you're willing to share uh your partner Kel- uh kelly's thoughts on the show because mm. you have you watched all the episodes together with her yeah um i'm wondering if you can just tell me your like kind of step by step you know episode by episode kind of process reaction to the to the show like are you i mean i assume you're enjoying it on some level obviously like uh if it's not already abundantly clear like we're thinking about the show and talking Mm. about the show with each other a lot i'm wondering how you and kelly have been processing it yeah we feel pretty conflicted i I think like we both routinely look at each other while watching the show and just sort of like, like shake our heads or like shrug our shoulders, you know what I mean? (laughs) Kind of. Um, And I think Kelly is a little bit more, well, I I don't want to speak for her, but I think she has like a clearer opinion and viewpoint maybe on the show than I do. I think I'm still like a little bit more, the jury is still out. Mm. On, on in terms of a verdict but she said this interesting thing the other day which is like uh you know you have to the show kind of only works and feels good if you're willing to sort of think of nathan fielder as an underdog mm. and it's kind of hard to think of him as an underdog when you understand that he is the executive producer and creator of a show for HBO. Right. So he's like the most powerful person in the room. Yeah. And is the person pointing the camera and is the person in the editing room cutting the narrative as you as an editor understand like the, the power of having final cut. Oh yeah. Um, And so it's weird because he is, I think we and she she's said as much like I think we both feel like he's a genius and it's like wildly entertaining like there's no I I don't have no dispute about that I'm very like clear on that it's just more about like how well how do you feel about what you're seeing like I know I know this is like a work of art and a work of genius that I'm watching it's more about like Am I feeling good about this? And I'm I'm not totally sure where I'm at. On that yeah, front. I I'm right there with you. I um, I mean, I'll say that I love the show, and I haven't yeah. thought I haven't spent as much time thinking about a show probably in my life. <laughs> um, and and like the anticipation I have to to see so we're recording this on a thursday uh episode number five comes out tomorrow night which i believe is the penultimate episode of the season um i mean i definitely think i i'm uh, you know certainly not gonna be able to make a final judgment until you know seeing the the full piece of art until we see the the conclusion of this (laughs) of this insane experiment um but um so on a certain level i have to say like well yeah i'm a fan like i think that this is incredible and brilliant um but it also makes me feel yeah like that those same like conflicts and like uneasiness and um 
trying to think. I, I feel like I, I think in Nathan for you, he was playing more of a character, which was obviously like kind of a, a version, you know, it's, it's a, it was a character based on himself and his own social awkwardness that I think is genuine and authentic. Um, but, um, I, I feel like in the rehearsal it's, it's, there's a, there's a much more blurred line between the character he's playing on screen and the creator of the show. Um, you know, his real person. Um, and I think that he's, I still think it's a character. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a bit, uh, that he's doing when he's like a lot of the stuff that he's doing, he's clearly doing because he knows it'll create a funny situation. And a lot of the stuff that he says, he says because he knows it'll create a surprising or interesting reaction from the person he says it to on screen. Um, so there's always that level of like, okay, well, he's not actually just acting like himself. He's clearly like, he knows that he's making a television show, of course. Um, and, but he's like, I think, I almost feel like he's also not sure how he, like, if he feels good about it all. And he's kind of like showing us that struggle, like on screen in real time. Um, and it makes me, it's just like, I'm trying to figure out where I land, um, and I no longer view him as an underdog. Um, I definitely think that what he's doing is is trying to make, you know, a more kind of humane and sympathetic point about uh, how humans work. And I think that he that he you know the subjects that he picks for his shows clearly he picks for like comedic value, but also, and a lot of times you're like, you know, I think and Nathan for you a lot of the criticism which I think is valid is like that he's you know, even though he was always like the most awkward and pathetic and sociopathic and ridiculous person on the show, he's still playing a character when he's looking ridiculous and pathetic yeah. and sociopathic. Whereas the people in the other people in that are the subjects of his uh, schemes and plans are not playing characters. They're just regular people. So at the end of the day, like they're always going to be the more foolish looking. Um, and so like, you know, one of the early things that I would say, like whenever someone would criticize Nathan for you as being like mean or manipulative, I would be like, yeah, but Nathan is always the ultimate butt of the joke. He's always the true target. He's the one that looks the most ridiculous. And that would, I would say that to make myself feel better about liking the show and yeah. enjoying the show. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, well, yeah, but he's playing a character. Anyone that is smart enough to like enjoy the show must understand that that's just a character that he's playing and the same way, like, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Ali G is a ridiculous cartoonish, you know, character who's incredibly dumb and, and, you know, just stupid looking at all times. But, uh, of course, like Ali, like Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't come off as stupid and foolish. He comes off as a genius because he's creating that character and using that character to make other people, <clears throat> you know, look ignorant or foolish or weird. Um, so I think Nathan for you is doing that just as much. Um, but his character is, is like a little bit more, you know, it's less cartoonish. It's more like, oh, he's actually just like a weird, awkward guy. <clears throat> so there's like, uh, you know, it's less obvious. You read the vulture piece by yeah. Lila Shapiro, right? Yeah. Lila Shapiro. Uh, L- Lila Shapiro. So, um, I thought it was really good and it, yes, I, I was talking piece. about, I thought I was talking about it with Kelly and I was like, you know what? what's really interesting about that piece is how well written it is. Uh, even though she didn't really draw a ton out of Nathan, like it was just a really good read. It was just like well-crafted. It was just well-written, um, mm-hmm. considering like how much she did not get out of Nathan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but there was this one line that stuck out to me that I wanted to share and like, I don't know, ruminate on or whatever, but it was that it was that the section of the piece where Nathan was talking to her about the um the maids that he hired on Nathan Yeah. Thea, yeah. Right? That was a that was a very troubling moment in the piece for sure. Yeah. Sorry, there's a train going by my house. Okay. So he's talking about like you know, what about that bit was problematic and didn't work. And I thought he had like, you know, some self-awareness about it. And then they started talking about like the power dynamics of being the person that has the camera Mm -hmm. in the situation and working with talent on camera. And 
I'll just like read from directly from the piece, but he said, uh, he said only one subject ever quit, but maybe more people hadn't dropped out because of the very dynamic the show critiques. Quote, you can be checking in with someone and they're constantly saying, yes, this is great. Let's do it. But it, but it might not be completely true or later they might change their mind. It's a weird paradox. He said, the thing we're satirizing these power dynamics is also a, a challenge in making the show. And we do get it wrong. And mm-hmm. so, I don't know. I, I I guess I've just thought about that a lot. Like how, you know, when there's a camera in a room, when you're on set, like I've had this experience working in film and TV, like people, um, of course, want attention and want to be silly and say things and do things they maybe wouldn't normally but then there is also this like unique sort of pressure to just be a good sport mm-hmm. and and roll with things that maybe you're not really comfortable with oh yeah it's and, it's an environment that is like just could not be more ripe for exploitation it's like literally set up to yeah and obviously so many people in the industry have fallen victim to that yeah, and it it's it's kind of uncomfortable, and it does seem like a lot of the show sort of, a lot of the most interesting things happen in the show when you see people kind of compromised and, like, at their most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I just, I don't know, like, how to feel about that exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think what that line was getting at is that, you know, like by satirizing power dynamics, um, he's also exploiting them for his own gain, his own. Yeah. You know, obviously, like he's making a lot of money off the show and 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 a lot of fame and. Um, and. I think that one thing that I do feel like the rehearsal does is that I think he is kind of grappling with that. And I think that, um, you know, in episode four, uh, the moment I, I referenced where he's as- openly asking, what is this show? Uh, in that same uh, section of the of the scene, he's talking about that dynamic uh, explicitly about how the cameras are on and they're HBO cameras. and. Mm-hmm. He's an actor, and really what he wants to do is impress Nathan and yeah. get Nathan's, um, who's, of course, teaching the class as, uh, <laughs> but an actor playing Nathan. Yeah. And so he's trying, you know, he, I think he's actually, in a way, I think the re- rehearsal somewhat redeems him because I think that a lot of the kind of moral qualms and questions you have yeah. from watching Nathan for you are addressed. Uh, There's a lot of self-awareness about it. Like that very, the the part that you're talking about where he's like, he's being rushed to sign an appearance. Release. Oh yeah. I love that scene when he's backstage and everyone's signing. And he's, the, like, he's like, everyone, everyone else is signing it. Yeah. So it and he's like looking right. at it and he's like, I don't know what any of these things mean. It would take me hours to read through this, like, you know, six page legal document to right. like make sure I was like comfortable with it, but everyone's signing it. And then the woman, you know, comes up to him and says, Oh, it's all standard. Just signatures on page four. And he says, Oh, oh okay. Sh- yeah. Right. And like how many times in your life have you been given a massive, you know, document, uh, terms and service, whatever, uh, uh, you know, service, uh, what is it called? The uh, terms of service or whatever, so, something agreement. And you have to sign it in order to like get something or lease an apartment or whatever it is, or like, yeah, rent something. And you're just like, uh, I mean, like, yeah, if I had like three hours to kill, I could sit and make sure I was completely uh, clear on every single one of these lines, but I don't have three hours. So I'll just sign it and assume it's fine. And that's just like a normal part of everyday life in America. Um, and so I love that he, you know, shined a little spotlight on that. Um, yeah. He and, does seem to be like both the wolf and the sheep. Yeah. You know, you've like heard the expression, like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like he, his, maybe like his most sociopathic tendency and his greatest skill is that he can both like, be the wolf and the sheep like when it's convenient for him to be the wolf and sort of like kind of box people into a corner and have them expose themselves in very vulnerable ways he'll be that person and then when it's convenient for him to sort of be wide-eyed and be like man i feel 
really taken advantage of here. And like, I just signed this appearance release, you know, like he'll play that card too. And I, he's, like I said, he's so talented. He's clearly like a, a, a genius. And I, I think the show he's making is, uh, the show that he's making is incredible. I just don't know uh, if I should feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I said, I'm not sure if he feels good about it. I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know Nathan Fielder. I've never talked to him. But like, I do think that he's like genuinely not like a monster. I don't, I, I think that he... You know, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just saying that like wishfully, I but I want to believe that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think he's at least aware enough that he's like right, like grappling with this stuff, um, and like you know, in all in front of us. And I mean, I do think that it's almost like I think at the end of the day, it's it's almost like the question is like, is it worth it? Like, is what he's doing like, is, is the, is the moral or ethical, you know, sacrifices that he's making or crimes that he's committing? Are they, is it, is it worth it to lay all this stuff bare to the viewer? Like to actually make us think about how television is made and to make us think about how, you know, capitalism makes a uh, small business owner so desperate that they will literally do anything uh to get some extra press or attention for their small business like i think that um i mean i always come back to like you know nathan for you yeah sure he's like mean and and manipulative but ultimately like he's he's showing how television is mean and manipulative and how uh, yeah, how capitalism is mean and manipulative and how, um, you know, the way he exploits people is just like a, a mirror of how we are all exploited and we are all manipulated and we all bend into these insane, ridiculous positions in order to get by in life um, because we're all, you know, on a knife's edge uh, and, uh, you know, obviously some more than others, but like, you know, the vast majority of people that live in this country are like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I do have to go extremely far out of my comfort zone to secure food and healthcare. And, um, and so I feel like he's obviously like he's trying to make something that's funny, but I do think that there's like a large part of him who's like, I think his mission is to say something deeper and more profound about, you know, the, the American experience. Um, and the question is just like what to what lengths he will go to like make those points and like how f right how far he is willing to exploit people himself um i mean the and... thing about I, I i find really interesting about him uh the the vulture piece touches on this is that like his his background he grew up as a magician mm -hmm. and he really is like a consummate magician this whole oh, time yeah. like where he's like i'm gonna tell you up front that what you're about to see is not real yeah and i promise you you will get upset it will like provoke you and make you feel things and it'll make you mad because you won't understand it and i'm gonna tell you repeatedly this is not real this is not real and it's still going to make you upset and i feel like that is exactly what's happening on the show it's like he is constantly saying but it's fake it's not real like why are you getting so upset yeah and here we are like we know that it's fake and we still can't totally put our finger on it but like i i do know the show is making people feel a lot of things yeah yeah i remember like so uh, I'm kind of borrowing from one of the multiple think pieces that I've read about this show. I'm trying to find the exact one so I can shout it out. Uh, okay, yes. So it's from a Vulture piece uh, mm -hmm. by Emma Healy, which is just a recap of episode four, uh, the title of the rehearsal recap, I Don't Like Lying to People. First of all, that was an incredible scene <laughs> when the actor... Uh, the, one of the actors in oh Fielder God. Method School just looks at him and goes, I don't like lying to people. And then Nathan just goes, oh, yeah, I don't either, <laughs> which is was just a, an amazing moment. 
Um, but the thing I was going to mention uh, from this article, I'll just read it because I kind of read it and thought the exact same, I had the exact same thing. So this is talking about the, toward the end of episode four, the, um, the overdose, the opiate overdose scene, which the first time I watched <laughs> that, I was super, super uncomfortable. Yeah, I was um, pretty appalled. Uh, yeah, because it. it's just, it was just way too specific and real. Um and I was like, they they just like crossed a line. Like this is just no longer funny at all. This is yeah. just really tragic and I sad. Was like, this is not an okay thing to like uh, have a not even a laugh at, but just like it's just it just was like this is just not okay. Yeah. So the paragraph I'm going to quote here from the Vulture piece. The first time I watched this scene, I felt queasy and disturbed, my attention clouded by these questions until the credit until the end credits. The second time, I felt that way until the paramedics came, when my discomfort was interrupted by the realization that the paramedics were being played by Thomas and another of the students from Fielder's class. Yeah. And like I kind of had the same thing where I was just like, This same. is so fucked up and wrong, and then you realize like some little Easter egg like that, and you're like oh my god this is so fucking funny and ridiculous like again just the sheer absurdity and i'm someone who i think at the end of the day like this show whether you like the show or not is really going to come down to like your taste for like absurdist humor and whether you are like you know a pretty like mainstream uh you know network sitcom comedy type enjoyer or like you go for weirder harder shit um and i know chris you and i both share a certain affinity or taste for you know the the more lured the more bizarre you know we need we need some harder stuff to really maybe we've just consumed too much content our our brands are too poisoned by the internet um or just growing up watching stuff like the WWF and Brendan Stimpy uh, as way too young. Um, but like in, to, to get a rise out of me, to get like a reaction, like I, I need something that's pretty fucking strange. Um, so that was like a moment where I, it just like hit my, it like perfectly like hit my, my like brain sensors in a way that I was just like, I was just amazed and delighted in the middle of this like incredibly horrific, tragic you know, disgusting reenactment of a fifteen-year-old boy overdosing yeah. on opiates and being rushed into an ambulance. Um, something that, yeah, it's just, yeah. And there's like so much of that that is like way too close to home. I mean, you know, I'm a parent of a five-year-old, um, and uh, this season uh, of the rehearsal has obviously like this a, a central focus of it is is the raising of a young boy. Um, played by uh, various, you know, child actors. Um, I mean, that's a whole other... We kind of got into that a little bit last episode with Wham! But, um, yeah, we haven't even talked about the moral <laughs> conundrum of all of that. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I, I am so... It's just a, a constant, like, uh, balancing act between, like, kind of being disgusted and 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 disturbed and then just being like this is just the sh- the sh- highest form of absurd humor like to for for this to even be happening one like and, and then favorite, it makes me think yeah one sorry, of my favorite on. funniest gags in the whole show is the um the digitizing aging mirror oh my in god the, yes in the bathroom <laughs> every time every time nathan <laughs> looks uh goes in the bathroom and looks in the mirror it renders an image of his face as an older version of himself to make him feel more as though he were an old older person than he actually is. Yeah. So it like literally did digitally ages Nathan's reflection. Yeah. Um, and it is always hilarious. Like he always looks so ridiculous. Like his yeah. reflection always looks so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's just, like, so many little touches like that that, like, do make you laugh. Um, I mean, yeah, if they don't make you laugh, then whatever, the show's just not for you, and that's fine, uh, of course. But, like, there is still... It is still, at the end of the day, like, a comedy show. It's just an yeah. extremely dark, complicated, messy, weird comedy show. And it just makes me think, like, that it's a goddamn miracle that it even exists, that HBO was like, yeah, let's put this on our network um they must i mean have spent a fortune 
Yeah. Oh my God. The budget must be out of control. Um, you read that one line. I think it was from from the Vulture piece where they were like, they probably spent more money to build the alligator lounge set than they did to actually <laughs> yeah, than like, the actual bar than the actual bars yeah. like original construction the other thing i think a lot about is you know like the big debate one of the big debates one of the many debates online about the show is like you know are the like are these people actors or not like uh, you know not the actual yeah. actors that he's hiring to be in the rehearsals but like the subjects um that to me know. is not as interesting as other people find it like whether, i agree whether, yeah like whether people are saying and behaving in like odd interesting ways for attention or whether that's truly who they are is sort of kind of beside the point yeah or how much they're even like you know coached know. or manipulated by nathan like beforehand like because there's so much stuff where you're like oh my god like did how did they actually say that? Um, like the fact that episode four starts with Angela talking about like hating her father so much. And then the whole episode is about, you know, the 15 year old Adam, you know, hating Nathan for leaving right. for nine years of his life. Right. Um, and so some of the stuff is like, oh, it just like works too well. But like the thing I always come back to is like, honestly, if every one of these people was, paid and hired to be an actor not on the rehearsals within the show but on the show the rehearsal like if if this was all 100 percent, you know casted and scripted, scripted beforehand yeah. it would still be insane because the yeah. writing to Maybe. like like the character yeah. of robin from ep- episode two like i uh, he's been like you know a big like internet meme and i do think he's a genuinely real person because he's I mean, if not, then they just went to the, mo- the most insane, absurd lengths, which, again, I don't put past them. But, like, you know, he's been interviewed uh, by actually a colleague of mine at, at Vice, at, uh, on, at Motherboard, uh, the Vice website. Um, and he was interviewed and gave quotes that just line up exactly with the character that we saw on screen. He apparently has a brother who's been tweeting about uh, him being on the show and how ridiculous it is and, you know, sharing, like, text threads and stuff uh, on, on Twitter, like, screenshots of text with him. Uh, and so if that's all concocted and fabricated, like, that's an incredible commitment, first of all. And to, to create that character which is so specific and he says and does the most insane little things. I mean, obviously like all the number counting and stuff, but there's so many other like little things like the fact that he has three mattresses. Um, I don't know if you caught like the first time Nathan approaches him outside the house in Oregon uh, when he like gets into his car with him. Um, The guy picks up like a small empty like sardine can from like the floor of his car uh, in the front seat. It's like a sardine can and Oh, fuck, I forget that. Um, I should I should rewatch this uh, moment. But yeah, it's just like so many little tiny ridiculous details that if it was all scripted, like that would that should garner an Emmy for like yeah. creating that that character and 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 writing those lines and those details um, just as unbelievable and insane to me as it being a real person. Um which again gets back to like the magic thing. Cause it's like, it, it does feel like a magic trick where you're just like, wait, what? Like how, mm-hmm. like I, either way, whether it's real or not, it's either like when I, when I like watch magic and I don't watch, you know, consume a lot of it, but when I, you know, do, or when I did as a kid, it was always like, okay, I know this isn't real, but obviously the, the, it's still, it's almost it still makes you upset. It's still, yeah. you're still like, I don't understand how you made that card vanish. Yeah. And I know, Honestly, knowing that it is fake is more infuriating than just believing in magic. Because it's yeah. like, I don't understand how you deceived me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's really what the show f- is starting to feel more and more like. Just one giant magic trick. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is why I'm so, so I'm eager to captivated. see how it ends. Yeah. And yeah. like, will there be a reveal? Will there be... Like, I mean, for all I know, like, there's, like, theories flying around, you know, like, uh, the final episode could be him saying, like, oh, yeah, this was all made up. These are all characters that we hired uh, or that we created. Um, or maybe not. Or maybe, like, I honestly, I have no, I can't even, you know, again, it's like yeah. guessing the end of a magic trick where you're just like, who the fuck, you know. Yeah, it's really. 
All right, let's uh, pivot here, Ben. I want to ask you about a couple of things before we go. So you mentioned the WWF a second ago. Oh, uh, yeah, I sure did. A couple of days ago, Ben, the WWF, WWE CEO Vince McMahon announced his retirement. Mm-hmm. And uh, immediately my spidey sense, my bullshit detector went off. Uh, not unlike our 45th president, Ben, uh, Vince McMahon is this guy who sort of relishes and craves the spotlight and he would never like willingly step away from the limelight. <laughs> he would never willingly step away from his company, his empire, his $3 billion company. So anyways, when Vince McMahon announced his retirement, um, I guess it was a couple weeks ago. I theorized to you in a text in a, in a in a text conversation that the only way he would ever step away is if it was for like selfish legal self- reasons. Yeah, selfish <laughs> like self preservation reasons. And yeah. lo and behold, Ben, the WWE board of directors revealed in a filing to the Securities and Exchange Commission <laughs> that it's conducting an internal review into roughly $20 million of WWE revenue that went unaccounted for dating back to 2007. Hmm. Additionally, a special committee has been formed to conduct an investigation into alleged misconduct of Vince McMahon. This, of course, is on the heels of a Wall Street Journal expose on McMahon from a few weeks ago alleging hush money payments from... uh, McMahon to WWE former employees who were allegedly sexually harassed. Hmm. So, Ben, I know this is a complete shock to you. To Not the Vince I know, Chris. Yeah. Uh, really disappointing and uh, and surprising to, to hear all that. Um, yeah, Vince McMahon, a uh, childhood idol of yours, Ben, a role model of good behavior. Yeah, someone I've really patterned my life after as both a uh, father, husband, and businessman. Right. I guess he's been pulling a fast one on us all these years. Unbelievable. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> not really sure what, <laughs> what to say. To say. Uh, pretty depressing stuff from a uh, horribly depressing uh, company. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I can't say I'm super surprised. Um, it's weird. Uh, I mean, it's just, I guess it's not weird. It's weird. I don't know really what to make of it that like, this guy who like played the part of like a horrible exploitative boss actually yeah. was one in real life. It turns yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Again, talking about the blurring of fiction and reality. Uh, and we've talked a lot about this in, in past uh, WWF uh, centered episodes of how, you know, like so I think about Sergeant Slaughter and how he started claiming that he was a veteran when in fact he was not. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I mean, there's a million examples of how a, a wrestler, you know, the commitment that you need to gen, like the, the, the commitment and the dedication and devotion that you need, uh, to generate to, you know, come to, to get over, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to sell yourself on screen is so, so deep and so thorough that it literally does invade your real persona um in many many cases and yeah i don't i don't think uh, it's far it's like not far from like the conversation we were just having about nathan fielder and that whole show it's just like how blurry can the lines get so you can actually maybe believe what you're doing is real and not fake yeah maybe you actually are the maybe you are the pretend person that you keep telling the world that you are yeah at a certain point that's who you are, maybe. God, I don't think I ever actually fully made the connection between the rehearsal and WWF uh, until now. Yeah, pretty wild. And the idea of, like, which Nathan says, I think, in episode three toward the end, um, the, the, the idea of manufacturing emotions, you know, and trying to create a dream world that you don't fall out of ever, that you, you know, where you don't, you know, br- break from from that uh, that dream state, um, and all the work and 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 details and legwork and uh, and you know production and setup that you have to go through in order to create that false reality. Um, and anytime there's like a little detail that 
that breaks that false reality, the whole thing comes crashing down and you snap out of it and remember, oh, no, that's not my reality. Um, and that's, to me, like probably like the most fascinating overall like theme that he's exploring here because yeah it gets into our childhood childhood obsessions of wwf and and trying to convince ourselves that this is a sport that we're watching and this is a real these are real men who have real beef with each other and who are really fighting um and that suspension of disbelief is like it's so uh fundamental i think to humans uh who seek like you know entertainment and escape we want to be entertained like yeah we want to be entertained and we also want to escape from our lives from our real lives we desperately want fantasy we desperately want entertainment we desperately want escapism uh because to different degrees and extents we're miserable or unhappy and (laughs) or just bored (laughs) <laughs> we're bored, yeah. yeah, and we want we want to escape to a false reality where it's just different, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's you know maybe this is the world holding a mirror up to our face and being like, look at you animals, you know? yeah, yeah. Know. That's kind of what I feel like Nathan's doing, and I think he's doing it to himself just as much as to us, which is kind of like the ultimate redeeming yeah. quality of the show is that he is not i think he's he's almost more a uh you know i think he's more a subject of of this experiment than yeah. he was ever in I, nathan for you nathan for you was really a, much more of a like oh i'm just playing a character and I, kind of making comedy I, but now he's going for something a lot more introspective and i think if he were here and part of this conversation he might say like who's who's more of an animal, me or you, Mm. you know, like the me that created the show or the you that is consuming the show. Yeah. Um, lastly, Ben, we enjoy the NBA. It's the off season, but I figured Mm. we'd, uh, we should give a thought chime in on the standoff happening over at the Barclays center, (laughs) Ben face to face. What would you do, Chris? You're Joe, you're Joe Sai. What what are you, what are you doing this week? So there was a face-to-face meeting between Brooklyn Nets owner Joseph Tsai and NBA All-Star Kevin Durant. Durant reiterated his request for a trade. According to Athletics, Shams Sharania, Durant informed Joseph Tsai that he needs to choose between Durant or the pairing of general manager Sean Marks and coach Steve Nash, end quote. So you asked me, Ben, what what (laughs) I would do? I mean, I think... First of all, Shams's language with this whole thing was very strange. Oh, uh, wait, Shams being odd uh, in his use of the English language? That's uh, something new. I've never well, mainly I just felt like it was strange that, uh, you know, he failed to like more plainly say basically that Durant is open to remaining with the Nets basically if they fire the GM and the coach. Yeah. that That is like another way of saying what he has said, which yeah. is like, you have to trade me, but also... You have to choose between me and the coach and GM. Um, but yeah, no, you were asking what, what I would do if I was Joseph Tsai. Um, geez, I don't know. It seems like Kevin Durant's pretty good, pretty good at basketball. I would try to figure out how to convince him to keep playing for my team. Yeah. What would you do? Um, I mean... <laughs> uh, I think I might... I don't know. I, I almost feel like this is like a showdown of like manhood between Durant and Sai and like authority. Like it's yeah. like literally saying like, is this my team or your team? Um, and I think, I think the I think Nash and Marks are like pawns in like a proxy war. <laughs> and like, literally it's just a standoff between Durant and Sai. Um, and I don't know. I like, I don't, I think if I were, if it was just me who owned the Brooklyn Nets, I would be like, okay, whatever. I don't really care that much about my GM and my coach who clearly like doesn't really bring that much value to the team. Like, sure, whatever, Kevin. But I think Joe Sai, uh, you know, we we know how much he loves authority and how much he respects authority. Uh, (laughs) And uh, and I and I wonder if uh, if he's gonna call Kevin out and be like no man this is my this is my team get out of here um i don't know Uh, i'm kind of 
weirdly like rooting for that, I think. Uh, I think it would be pretty funny uh, for an owner of an NBA franchise to like, literally say, like, no, I'm actually more important than the star player. Um, it's definitely like, yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty wonderful. It's pretty fantastic where we actually, as fans, get to like, it's has it ever been so black and white? Like, who's who's really the reason we tune in to this product? Is it is it the basketball player or is it the owner of the franchise? Um, Amazing. Yeah. So obviously, this is catnip for us. We're we're monitoring the situation closely. I've uh, been uh, in really, really close and constant contact with uh, with my sources, Chris. Um, so I'll be bringing the Swish FM audience uh, mm. any news uh, as it as I can uh, collect it. It sort of feels like this thing is going to drag out for a while, huh? Like Ben yeah, Simmons probably. style. Yeah. 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 Like unless the Raptors or Celtics or 76ers or Suns or Grizzlies, whoever wants to fork over their whole team every good young talented player on their roster i mean it just seems like <laughs> no no one's going to, like we're just gonna be sitting around here waiting for yeah. something to give i think uh was it i think it was maybe dunked on i think nate duncan made this point but how funny is it that like the ben simmons saga is like the fourth most like fucked up thing about the Brooklyn Nets franchise right now. Like, remember Ben Simmons? Remember yeah. that he's also on the Nets on the and Nets. has not played a game for them yet, but is like Ben very Simmons much is like the on the roster. Dra- yeah, he's like the least dramatic thing. Like, he's just like a welcome player at this point. Yeah, yeah. Considering the issues with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and how they seem to not want to play for the, t- the Brooklyn Nets anymore. But yeah, it's uh, it's really gonna be fun to see how it shakes out. Yep. All right, Ben, we'll uh, wrap it up here. Um, Thanks, as always, for listening to Swish FM. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. Congrats again to Whammy and his his wife, Kelly. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Ben. Always fun to do the pod. You've been listening to Swish Swish FM.